So for me, the only time I ever really felt sad about a celebrity dying was David Bowie. Well, I guess that was kind of the beginning of feeling sad about celebrities dying, because that was the 2016 year of a shit show. That was the apocalypse of people dying that you gave a shit about. Right. And yeah, David Bowie was, he died in like January. Yeah. It's January January 10th, I think. January 10th, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was harsh. Yeah. And it was funny. I heard about it because Mike came to bed at like three in the morning. I don't know why he would go to bed at three in the morning, but he was, he always listens to NPR before bed. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, for some reason, I actually caught it that night and I just heard like David Bowie died today. And I get up and I look at him and I'm like, what? And he was like, I was really hoping you didn't hear that. Oh no. And I couldn't sleep for the rest of the night. Oh, but you know, and I lived in Brooklyn at the time, so it was interesting living in Brooklyn and New York and Manhattan. I and feel like with that. you probably walked out of your apartment the next morning and it was just mass chaos. Like, it just, everything was on fire. Every, cars were careening through the air and <laughs> nobody exploding. cared anymore. Cats were just jumping <laughs> off buildings. It's, nobody gave a shit anymore. Mass chaos. I was very lucky that all my friends, though, in New York, we were all equally just fucking wrecked. It was an entire yeah. week of being wrecked. Yeah. And and yeah, it was it was not easy. That was the kind of that was the brace yourself moment. That the was. brace yourself this year's gonna fucking suck. Get ready, moment. guys. It's only getting worse from here. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's gonna lead us into our topic for today, which is David Bowie's album Black Star. Get ready for the sads. Oh god. Get your memes ready. <laughs> You're gonna need all the dogs. <laughs> I'm Ashley. And this is your weekly lovely podcast about music, facts, trivia, other little things, cry fests, whatever you want, because today might be a little bit of a cry fest. It probably will be. It's it's been, you know, it's been a journey. But you know what? Two years. It's been two years. It's since been two it, years. So we got we have to grieve. Yeah. We've we're we're there. <laughs> we've you know what? It's fine. It's fine that I'm still upset about it. It's fine. Uh but yeah, so today we're gonna talk about Black Star, David Bowie's final album. And there's a lot about this. I am not going to lie to you, kids. I am scratching the surface in this episode. Which is kind of funny. And I'm actually pretty interested because I really don't know anything about I, Black Star. I, I knew it was his final album. And I knew that he, I knew that he knew he was dying <laughs> when he was j- making it. Right. But other than that, I really don't know anything about it. Right. Yeah. So there's there is a lot to this. It is is deep and I will do the best I can to get you kids knowledge in this. And not make you want to jump off a cliff. Can't promise that. 
Alright, and I do want to start this off by saying, I want you all to know, David Bowie's death has his own fucking Wikipedia page. Really? Yes. So, if you're rolling your eyes at me right now, being really upset and distraught about this, still, two years later, it's got its own Wikipedia page, so it's a big fucking deal. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. Clearly. There's an internet. Whoever wrote wrote that Wikipedia page about his death feels the same way. Fucking seriously. (laughs) I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background. That's going to help you guys kind of understand the background behind the making of Black Star. So while on tour in 2003, Bowie suffered a mild heart attack, but it was enough to make really? him decide to take a break. Yeah. Wow. He was in Germany and he just, he had a mild heart attack. He was in a lot of pain and he's just, I'm done. And so they canceled the tour. They were done. He's like, I'm taking a break. Was this his own tour? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was the reality tour. Because I remember him going out on tour with um, Nine Inch Nails. That was the mid nineties, which was an amazing ah. tour. See, I have my David Bowies all mixed up. There's a lot of Bowies. It's fair. <laughs> this is the last Bowie, so it's a little bit... I'll keep it simple for you guys. But so he was taking a break indefinitely. He said he wasn't sure if he wanted to tour or record again. He just left it that and radio silence, basically, from Bowie yeah. for about eight years. And then in 2011, he began recording his album the next day in secret. He actually had everyone involved with the album sign NDAs, and the sessions were notably shorter. Wow. Yeah. He was taking this at his own pace. He's like, he I was... want to do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time. <laughs> Super serious. He was, really ser- he, was serious, he was really serious about it. And the band actually recalled that before this album, he would stay in the studio all day, even if it meant all night to finish it. And this time around, no. When it hit 6 p.m., he was done and he would go home. He was very much doing this in a different way than what anyone was used to. Hmm. So they, it was a noticeable difference, even just recording it. Yeah. It was actually, the whole album of the next day was a reflection on his life and the past. A lot of the songs dealt with fame, um, how it can affect your life. Bowie had been known to overall dislike being famous, because even though it did have its benefits, it overall was a pain in the ass. <laughs> that I feel... Yeah, I get that feeling from him. He did not really like the constant barrage of human beings being around him. I I love Bowie, but I don't know much about him. I don't know a whole lot about like the stories behind his recordings, behind his albums, and all that. But I always got the sense that he loved performing. He loved being creative. He loved creating these characters. Mm That, like, Ziggy Stardust and, what was it, the Duke? Yeah, the Thin White Duke. The Thin White Duke. He really liked creating these personas and having people really respond to that. Oh, yeah. But whenever it came to, like, interviews or being (laughs) on TV or anything, he looked so uncomfortable. and couldn't be bothered. Yeah, he just did not give a fuck about that shit. Which, good for him. Yeah, I mean... He was not having it. I mean, that makes him a true... A performer, a true... True artist. A true artist. He wasn't in it for the fame. Yeah, he was in it for being creative and responding to his fans. Oh, yeah. 100%. In the next day, it's funny, on the album, between the songs and the album art, he really wanted to subvert his past. Uh, You can just see that he just did not want to take himself all too seriously Mm -hmm. on the cover of the next day they took the cover of heroes album Mm -hmm. and he covers up his face on it just the the next day he really was saying 
yeah, I mean, those things, those are my personas, those are my past, but this is now, this is today. Yeah, and like, he's kind of having a bit of a piss take on himself and a piss take on fame and what that does to you and all these people. Yeah. Oh, I'm a celebrity. And people obsessed with celebrity culture as well. The Stars Are Out Tonight is really very much about why do you give a shit about celebrities? And that was the time when celebrity culture really started oh, yeah. becoming a with, thing. With reality TV and everything, yeah. it had really blown and up. All of a sudden, everybody gives a shit about what you're wearing on the red carpet. Exactly. Um, after he released it in 2013, he did work on a few singles that ended up on Black Star, but he didn't start production on the album itself until 2015. In the end, Black Star was released on January 8th, 2016, to coincide with Bowie's 69th birthday. It was recorded again in secret, like nobody can fucking know about this, with his co-producer Tony Viscotti and a group of local jazz musicians in New York City. So, so different uh, like session musicians than previous albums? Yes, these okay. were totally different people because he was going for a very different sound on purpose. It was his last hurrah. He was experimenting with new things. Yeah. So it wasn't like he wasn't with his previous session musicians for any negative reasons. It was because he was trying something new. Yeah. So we picked these jazz musicians. So that was the only reason that happened. Bowie was very ill from liver cancer, and he didn't want anyone to know unless they needed to. He would wait until he had no choice but to explain to them what was going on. There were people working with him the whole time had no fucking idea he was sick. That's kind of crazy, right? because usually if you're that advanced in cancer, a stage of liver cancer, cancer is no fucking joke. Right, and you would think he would also be in a lot of pain um, to not know. Yeah. That People would say, oh, he looked tired. Oh, he looked like he didn't feel well that day. But overall, he was so good at composing himself yeah. and to also, not cause concern. And also at the same time, he's always been a skinny, pale white guy. Right. So, so he always kind of looked and, sickly. And he was getting older anyway. Right. When you get older, 70. you don't want to be rude and say, yo, you don't look so good. You're like, right. oh, they might be really insecure about the fact that he's near, seven, he's near 70. I don't want to bring that up. Right. So arguably, they're... He could have pulled it off easily. And of course, two days after the release of Black Star, he passed away. And his illness was not made public until he died. And I would like to take this moment to acknowledge how much it coincides with my other very favorite Brit musician. Freddie Mercury. Freddie Because I was thinking the same exact thing. Freddie Mercury, for those of you who don't know, passed away of AIDS in 91. Didn't tell anybody until two days before his death because he knew I'm going to die like in a day. You know what, fuckers? I have AIDS. What are you going to do about it? Yep. Fuck you and walked away. It was kind of like a last fuck you the way he did it. I think it. the big difference, though, is that I think for at least a couple years, um, Freddie Mercury's appearance changed mm. dramatically. Oh, yeah. Um, this was 91 with AIDS. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. He could not hide how ill he was. No. And there was nothing he could do about it because it was the early 90s. You, nobody knew anything about AIDS at that point, let at alone... At this point, AIDS was the gay disease, you know? It was right. very taboo and it was very negatively looked upon. Right. I mean, it was... At that point, all you could do was just live with it until you die. Yeah. And do the best you can. Yeah. It's not like now where you can at least have maintenance uh, drugs yeah. to a lot at of people least can live a long time with AIDS. Right, but at that point nobody mm-hmm. knew anything, no. and everyone was like, "Well, something's kind of weird with Freddie. He's right. so skinny. He right. looks so completely different. He was much younger." Um, there was one video, music video. Um, what was it? There are two. There's uh, going slightly mad. And there is... Was it The Entertainer or something no, like that? It was, I think it was probably the... 
these are the days of our lives. Yes, that one. He looks so dramatically different. And, and do you know how much makeup they had to put on him just to look like that? Yeah, I remember seeing footage of like behind the scenes of them making that video. Yeah, they would have to stop and frequently to touch him up. It was crazy how much makeup he had on. Marie Antoinette would be jealous <laughs> of how much makeup he had on. It was crazy. <laughs> but like... But he he looked so dramatically different. And I think at that point, people were like, something's up. Yeah. And then not long after that video came out, I think he, he, he passed, passed away. away. Not too long. You're right. And so bringing it back very much. So like Bowie, Bowie knew he was on his way out. So Black Star was his goodbye. Mm-hmm. It was his farewell to everyone. It's kind of a gift to everybody. It really was. That's, you know, that's what Visconti described the album as. It was his swan song. It was his parting gift for everybody. Um, he purposely really wanted to avoid making another rock and roll album. He was listening to a lot of Kendrick Lamar at the time, specifically Which the al- awesome, right? <laughs> specifically the album "To Pimp a Butterfly," and he cited him as an influence. So the final result is an intriguing mix of alt rock, jazz, industrial folk, hip hop, kind of just everything, mm-hmm. and it's it works out in a way almost his most experimental, definitely. But, but sometimes when Experimental doesn't work. It did work for him in this case. Because he's David Bowie and it always works. (laughs) So, you know, we'll try. I'll go through track by track and Mm -hmm. we'll start with the first one. Okay. Which is Black Star. So this song is actually titled Black Star, and when I say that, I mean it's an icon of a black star. Kind of like when Prince was a symbol. Yes. This yeah. is actually a symbol. It's like a widget or a wing ding. A wing ding? <laughs> it's a wing ding of a black star. Nobody knows what we're talking about. No, I'd like to think that there are enough people, like 30 plus, who know what a wing ding is. Shout out if you know what a wing ding is. <laughs> There's like four wing dings at this point now. Um, it is described as an avant-garde jazz sci-fi torch song. It it, and it sounds is. like that. Yeah. Like... It sounds like David Bowie mixed with kind of tech, techno, whatever. Yeah. Mixed with jazz. Yeah. It's like, like jazz techno. jazz. Yeah. In space. <laughs> because anytime <laughs> Bowie does something, it's always whatever it is in, in space. space. <laughs> so this features a drum and bass rhythm, a tonal, a two note tonal melody and hints of Gregorian chant. So musically, yep. it's it's pretty complex musically, definitely. The song was originally recorded at over 11 minutes long, but after <laughs> finding out that iTunes will not post songs over 10 minutes, they edited it down to 9 really? minutes and 57 seconds. Whatever, yeah. iTunes. Fuck off, Have iTunes. you ever heard of progressive metal? Shut we, the fuck up. We love you, iTunes. Yeah, don't take don't, us don't off. Don't take us off. Sorry. <laughs> iTunes is great. <laughs> We've, don't fuck off fuck on we, fuck on <laughs> fuck on iTunes <laughs> fuck on <laughs> um I got pretty much 
all of what I'm going to say about Black Star from this article on Medium uh, called David Bowie's Black Star Track and Music Video Analysis by Dominic Bro. Holy shit, this guy I think wrote a whole thesis on the album. It sounds like a dissertation, not just an article. Oh, it is. And, and I am going to tell you all right now. He, he better have gotten a master's degree in something for that. <laughs> yeah. He, well, yo, after you read it, and I'm going to post it in the show notes, he fucking deserves it. Yeah. Dominic, bro, I hope you got a fucking <laughs> master's out of this shit. <laughs> so the first line is, in the Villa of Orman. Orman is a Norwegian term for serpent, which can be a reference from sources biblical, Buddhist, Crowleyan, and anything in between. I'm going to say Crowley- as Crowley, as Crowley, I don't fucking know. Is I know that it's like Crowley? Is that like no, Crowley. Alistair Crowley? Yeah, the Alistair Satanist Crowley. guy. Yeah, I think okay. it's supposed to be Crow. I think it's Crowley, like, but caw, caw. whatever. It's Crowley. He's and dead. He doesn't care. He probably doesn't. <laughs> so, considering the con- the connection Bowie felt with Alistair Crowley, it is most likely that the song is taking an occult tone. That's kind of awesome. Especially watching the video. You can very much feel an occult tone with it. I'm here for that. The symbolism points to Bowie dealing with his cancer diagnosis with phrases like eventual executioner and finding optimism in the things in his life like work or loved ones with the phrase your eyes. He continually repeats your eyes and and from it you can gather he's got this shit disease slowly killing him and so he's trying to find solace in your eyes which could probably either be at his work or his loved ones Mm -hmm. easily he denies being anything but a black star so there's courses where he says i'm not a film star i'm not a pop star but he was those things yeah he definitely but he kept saying i'm not these things i'm a black star which begs the question what's a black star is a black star all of those things kind of like shoving all of them into a vortex and then you're a black star (laughs) close that is right? not like, the most off thing like a black said. hole black hole just sucks everything into it so there are am i making ridiculous analogies right now <laughs> no you are not actually <laughs> so there's actually a range of meanings with black star yeah. so hold on to your butts <laughs> here we go so radiologists call certain cancer legions black stars maybe he was influenced when he was discovered to have this illness that became visible in this shape and turned his own death into art with the cause becoming the central symbol. Oh, girl, I got like 12 more. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, also, a black star is a term for the transitional state between a collapsed star and a singularity. What? Black hole. Oh, okay. So you're not not wrong. (laughs) Also, Bowie was a known Elvis fan. Really? Yup. Loved Elvis. Which, if you really think about it, makes sense. He loves performing. Yeah, true. So, he loved Elvis. He definitely has that, like, Elvis swagger. Oh, yeah. But even better. He's like Elvis, but better. Yeah. He's not like Elvis. Anyway, Elvis also had a song called Black Star with the lyrics, When a man sees his black star, he knows his time has come. Wow. So, there's that. But it could also be possibly Bowie's salvation. A reference to the midnight sun, a a symbol for the spirit of man, a light from within to overcome the darkness. This is something he summons through his art, and in creating this final album, he hopes to become an actual black star and shine through the dark. This theory is strengthened by the fact that, for the first time in his career, Bowie's face is not on the album cover. The black star is the lone image representing Bowie himself, and all he symbolizes. Bam. Mic drop. Mic drop. 
(laughs) (laughs) No, but I think this, I think they all, I think they all play a part. I'm sure he's, I, it's not just one thing. It's not. I'm sure. It's 20 things. Yeah. He, I'm sure he thought of a million different things and was just like, yep, this all makes sense. All of it. This all works. And not only is it what I think, it's what everybody else that loves this album thinks. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, this is, this song alone is real deep. There are <laughs> layers beyond layers, and I think I barely got a quarter of a way through them. So, now getting into the music video, it was created and released a few months before the release of the album. It includes depictions of cult rituals, the crucifixion, crucifixion excuse me, of scarecrows, and symbolism such as a dead astronaut and an eclipse. Overall, the video mirrors the lyrics' supposed message of spiritual succession. At the end of the video, one of the followers of the cult is rewarded with the skull of the astronaut that we perceive to be Major Tom. And this seems to almost be a way of Bowie passing on his legacy to whoever the next will be to take the mantle. But it it seems like it could also be a, like a symbol of Bowie himself dying. Exactly. Because you're killing Major Tom. Right. Even though he technically wasn't Major Tom. But it was one of his many it's creations. One of his, and it was one of his most famous songs. Yeah, I mean, that was the song that put him on the map. Right. Really, was Space Oddity. And yeah. killing killing that character is kind of like killing Bowie. Exactly. The The video opens up with this skeleton inside a astronaut suit. And this woman finds it. And then there's a big cult ritual around the whole skeleton. Uh, the skull, excuse me, the skull found from it. And yeah, it's definitely a really deep meaning of Bowie presenting his legacy to us yeah. and saying, this is it. It also seems like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like maybe in the last stages of his life, he got really into the occult. I, it, I'm I'm sure actually he, he was he was always into right. I was just gonna say he was always into it, but it yeah. seems like he was really into it. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it never truly left him, and maybe towards the end, yeah, he found more solace in it than he ever had before. Yeah, and it's not something usually when people think of the occult or witchcraft or Satanism or whatever. Yeah, they think of horrible things sacrifices right. blood and sacrifices blood and drinking drinking ghosts killing people and like but whatever that's not, it's it's really not that though right it's actually much more positive than especially especially with paganism and wicca everybody usually assumes that's witchcraft and that's worshiping satan it's not it's actually more like worshiping the environment worshiping nature yeah and really believing in goddesses and gods that are more nature related right it's not it's not anything bad. No, it really isn't. And Wicked's yeah. actually pretty cool. It is. <laughs> hey, when I was in high school I thought it was real cool. I, I thought I was the real rich when I was in high school. <laughs> I but I really spells. I really just wore Jankos and looked like a fucking mall god. <laughs> we were real mall gods, but oh, we thought we were witches. It's I re- fine. I really liked Hot Topic when I was in high school. I kinda still do. I was gonna I'm, say I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda still, still do. Hot Topic. Don't judge me. I don't. They got some cute fucking shit there. They do. As far as making the video, Bowie would create sketches of what he wanted in the video and give them to the art director. When they began working on this video, Bowie was made very aware of the fact that the cancer treatments were not working and that he would die soon. 
He wow. so if you if you were you know watching these videos and wondering did Bowie know he was gonna die soon? Yup, he, he did. He one hundred percent knew he was on his way out. Do you know when he was initially diagnosed? I don't actually. I, again, he was pretty secretive about it, and despite the things that I had looked up and the documentaries that I'd seen, they don't really talk about. And I, maybe it's for respect for Bowie. They don't really talk about. Oh, on this date was the day that David Bowie got the diagnosis. Right. Well, I mean, he was so secretive about it that. Maybe nobody even knows. Yeah. For all we know, maybe Amon and his children were the only people who knew. Right. You know, so there's that. Right. But anyway, so there there you go. If you were curious, he knew. He 100% yeah. knew. In the video itself, Bowie plays two characters. A prophet in the beginning whose face is bandaged and he has button eyes. He's called Button Eyes, by the way. <laughs> creative <laughs> and in the middle yeah, i'm glad he doesn't waste his creativity with things like that <laughs> he's like fuck it he's button eyes and more important things to think about which is a lot cuter than what it could be so you know <laughs> and in the middle of the video a priest in a church both seeming to represent the different sides of dealing with his fate you know there's one that is empty blind and rage perhaps unaccepting clinging to the little life that he has or even deliberately escaping death but then the other one presents Bowie as being in a moment of realization, one that embraces the Black Star and embraces life and its implications. Hmm. This was done before Lazarus, which we'll, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he definitely, it's that side of grief and, you know, stages of death where you're torn and you're mad, but you're accepting and you get that feel in this video, 100%. Mm -hmm. You go from Black Star to the next song, which is Tis a Pity, She Was a Whore. She Was a Whore, is one of the aforementioned songs written right after he finished The New Day. The mm -hmm. next day, excuse me. Right after he released The Next Day. So it was actually released much earlier in the November of 2014. As just like a single? As just a single with another song that Which we'll talk about later. Because nobody does that anymore. Yeah, no, Bowie did. <laughs> but Bowie fucking does it because he does did. whatever he wants. He re-recorded it for Black Star. Uh, adding in new saxophone parts played by Donnie McCaslin. Donnie McCaslin, who is one of the jazz musicians that helped him throughout mm -hmm. Black Star. Very talented New York City-based musician. Uh, the early version was actually just a demo mm -hmm. that was released as the B-side of the single it was on. The name comes from a John Ford play called Tis Pity She's a Whore. It, <laughs> basic rundown. It is. It was written in the 17th century. And it was very controversial for its storyline. So a brother and sister fall in love, but the sister's being courted by a few other men who all try to get in there. And they're like, yeah. And then when they see all the other guys trying to go after this woman, they're like, nah, fuck you, man. And so they try to get each other out of the picture. It's, but she's just banging her brother. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then like, ugh, fucking, there's a lot of murder. There's a lot of, you know, revenge. 
basically, and then one of the guys, do a spoiler alert if you care, um, <laughs> one of the guys that she ends up marrying finds out that she was boning her brother and gets mad and kills everybody. It, it's fucking crazy. And then the, one of the final lines is the cardinal saying, tis pity she was a whore. Because it's all her because fault. Because it's all her fault what that she was fuck? fucking her brother. Oh, whatever. Her brother I mean, was the one who came up and said, yo, I want to bone you. And she's like, I... I mean... <laughs> You probably shouldn't bone your brother. No, you shouldn't. This but, is some Lannister-ass shit going on here. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's not her fault if no. her husband gets pissed off yeah. and kills everybody. Oh, he killed everybody. Oh, whatever. I mean, from what I read on Wikipedia, anyway, you can also look this up. The yeah. internet's a powerful tool. <laughs> so, but despite it being named for the play, the lyrics don't have anything to do with that story. All right. The A side of the single is called Sue, parentheses, or in a season of crime, which is also on this album. Okay. So we'll get to that later. Okay. In 2014, Sue was the A side. Tis a pity she was a whore was the B side. Okay. The main character, Annabelle, from the play, Mm -hmm. he renamed her Sue. And so Sue is kind of more about the play than this song so one could argue he was inspired by the play wrote a different song but still really wanted to do some kind of play on the title so he just used it with this song okay that's fine that's fine you know it's it's definitely got that whole crazy jazz thing going on you can really hear the influences in this song yeah he was like i'm gonna do what i fucking want it's it's a very art house kind of song. It is. With and a lot of jazz elements. I will be 100% honest. Didn't like this song a lot at first. Now I've listened through this album at least six times. And I kind of really like the song now. It's it's very um, noise. It is. Art, noise rock, noise art rock. But as you get to listen to it more, you kind of hear what he was going with. It also helps yeah. that I researched the shit out of this. <laughs> uh, Bowie stated the song was influenced by the destruction of World War One. He said that is it, a lot of influences in one song. Yeah, he's got there's this this song is an onion, and, and I actually don't have a lot to say about it, which is weird. So because it's really complex and deep, and I'm not a complex or deep person. I'm sorry. <laughs> he said if vorticists wrote rock music, it might have sounded like this. Now, vorticism, for those of you who don't know, because I, I don't know, know what that is. I didn't is. fucking know. I had to Wikipedia this shit. It was a modernist art movement in the early 20th century Britain that rejected Victorian-style artwork, and it was in more favor of geometric shapes and bold colors. So it was okay. basically like a real in-your-face fuck-you art style that didn't last very long in Britain. Because, well, if it came out in Victorian Britain, well, obviously. It was was actually the early 1900s against Victorian age style. Right. And it was, you could say it was definitely influenced by the upcoming wars and things, but it it was very short lived. And if we were, if we look at it now, we think it's classic art, but at the time it was very contemporary modern art. Yeah. It's, it's, you, I think you can kind of compare it to the Dada movement. Um, sure. <laughs> Our history nerd. Yeah, I was this like, this is I the don't... one time I can use Yay! that degree. Yay! Yay! <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dada came about. Um, it was very popular in Europe. Um, but it was kind of very much against everything, all the art that was being produced at the same time period. Right. It didn't make sense to a lot of people. It was very avant-garde and didn't really last for very long. But when it was popular, mm. it made a big impact. It did. 
And of course, leave it to fucking Bowie to be like, I'm going to take this really obscure art form that wasn't very popular for very long and right. just use it. Right. And didn't use it for inspiration. Because, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of inspiration in this. <laughs> and we can hear some more inspiration on the next track, Lazarus. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. So Lazarus was released in December of 2015, making it the second single to come out before the album did. And it became Bowie's first top 40 song of Billboard's top hot 100 in 28 years. Now, granted, wow, fuck Billboard. Who gives a shit like about mainstream music? But in 28 years, Bowie hadn't had a tune in the top 40. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. But I'm... Yeah. Yeah, because I'm Afraid of Americans came out in 90. But it, 90s. that didn't even make top 40. Really? Mm-hmm. And I guess wow. if you're counting as a collaboration. Yeah. Potato. True. So it had been Bowie's lifelong dream to write a musical. And in the end, Bowie ended up co writing one of the same name as Lazarus. The musical is a sequel to the story The Man Who Fell to Earth, which Bowie starred in the film ad- adaptation of in the 70s. It began its run in December of 2015 and ended on January 20th, 2016, which they declared David Bowie Day in New York City. And here's a little piece of trivia. It starred Michael C. Hall of Dexter fame. Oh, really? Yup. There's your trivia for the week, kids. Huh. Impress your friends. And Michael C. Hall was one of those people who came forward and said, I had no fucking idea that Bowie was sick. Wow. Yeah. Because he would come to the rehearsals and he would kind of oversee things. Yeah. But he never let on. I think the only person who knew was like the co-writer or the other musical director. That That's it. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think that nobody had any had clue. no idea. They were just... And he was at... I mean, this was the end of 2015. So he was real close. Yeah. It was like end stage. It was end stage. And they still were like, okay, he's just tired. (laughs) So this song is obviously Bowie's epitaph. He knew his death was imminent. And this song deals with that. Look up here. I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. Opens up with that. Obviously. So you're like, okay, yep. That's, this is it. This is coming up. The lyrics, I've got drama, can't be stolen, everybody knows me now, seems to be Bowie's acknowledgement of his own legacy, that his life story had been out there for everyone to see, and that he can never be forgotten. There are reflections in the song of Bowie's past personalities and events in his life. The lyrics, by the time I got to New York, I was living like a king. There I used up all my money. I was looking for your ass. So it's assumed... That in this, he is referring to the time in the 70s where he was heavily addicted to cocaine because everyone was heavily addicted to co- right. cocaine in the fucking 70s. Everybody loved their coke. You don't say. <laughs> he was addicted to coke. And he had moved to America and he arguably may have been spending a little bit too much money on it. But also, too, he was going through bad management deals because, again, in the 70s, 
everyone was going through bad management deals. Did we learn nothing from Fleetwood Mac? Uh, I think I have this odd feeling that all of the older bands and rock stars we cover, we might kind of see the same mistakes repeated you over think? and over again. <laughs> I have a weird feeling. But so between the fact that he was really being boned by his record company and he had a huge cocaine habit, yeah. he was a little broke. Yeah. Just a little bit. And he characterizes his addiction as a search for God. As many claim that being on cocaine brings you to a higher understanding, which is another teaching of Crowley. I kind of feel like that's just them trying to justify their coke habit. I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give it I'm going to give it to you in the 70s. Like coke as a recreational drug was kind of being a bigger thing back then and maybe people just did it so much they thought, "Oh man, I have a higher understanding of the world." I guess. I don't but, know. Maybe they just felt really see, productive. This is why there are so many cults in the 70s. Thanks, because cocaine. everyone was fucking doing coke, thought they had this higher understanding of God, and would go along with any crazy crackhead that thought that they had the answer. <laughs> no, wait, guys. I know the answer. It's cocaine. <laughs> this is why cults happen. This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. So, this going back to um, the search for God, cocaine bring you on a higher power, the Crowleyisms, Crowley, Crowley, Crowley. God damn it! This could be the quote unquote ass he was looking for. All this occurred around the thin white Duke era, which is directly referenced in the Lazarus video, as Bowie is dressed in the same outfit as the one he wore on the back of the Station to Station album, oh, which wow. is where the thin white Duke premieres. Right. Kind of. So. This is real fucking meta. <laughs> like, Bowie's getting real meta in Lazarus. Um, the video has been seen as it's his own artistic portrayal of living with his illness. He comes out of this wooden closet in a background, shaking, moving violently and sporadically. There's other scenes where he's sitting at a desk, writing while still moving in this frantic manner. It's interpreted that this is how Bowie may have felt trying to work while the cancer was consuming his body. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking this like weird shaking thing is probably representative of the cancer yeah kind of taking over his body and he has no control over it right and he's still trying to live his life and still trying it, to but... do everything he can to be normal and it's nearly impossible but somehow he's doing it right because nobody knew this is fucking bowie he's also seen laying in, in a bed with the same bandage and button eyes covering his face so button eyes is back mm-hmm by the end, he slowly backs up into a wooden closet, and it's kind of him saying goodbye as death finally comes for him. The video was also the second time we saw Button Eyes, and many people think this might be the last final persona that Bowie creates, you know, to go up into the legacies of the Thin White Duke and Ziggy Stardust and Major Tom, and Button yeah. Eyes is up there with them. So I'm wondering how... This relates to, like, the story of Lazarus, this this reborn character. So, the name Lazarus, you know, it's funny because you didn't ask me that as, like, a lead in. I genuinely just had You had it next. next. <laughs> I genuinely just fucking had this next. Ugh. Guys, this isn't scripted. We're drunk. We're How wearing the this, fuck is We're wearing practically the same leggings today. Yeah. <laughs> it's we're fine. drinking and we're, like, on the same fucking we're, wavelength. We're fucking slowly becoming the Borg in a symbiotic relationship. It's fine. Soon we're just going to be doing these podcasts talking the 
exactly the same way Ooh. in the same voice in saying the same, the same words at the same time get out while you still can uh. guys <laughs> So the name Lazarus is obviously a reference to the biblical story of Lazarus of Bethany. Now, if you aren't like me and you grew and you did not grow up in an Irish Catholic family. Oh, I so did not. And went to church every fucking Sunday nope. for 18, 20 years of your life. I, I'm surprised that I don't burst into flames when I walk across the tr- threshold of a church. <laughs> well, so. I've denounced God, so I should also be bursting. Yeah, flames. pretty much. Um, so the story of the, of Lazarus of Bethany Lazarus is getting really hard to stay, so I'm going to stop drinking so much. It's it's a very simple, basic story. A man that Jesus resurrected four days after his death. It's a miracle found in the book of John and the gospel. You know, it's one of Jesus' Jesus's many miracles. Well, I can he, raise the he, dead. He did it to himself, didn't he? he well, was- I, mean, I, I mean, really, God... It, it, that's another podcast. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> You're not sucking me into this know. conversation. I don't know shit about it, so... So the song Lazarus could be a way for Bowie to still be alive despite his death. The Black Star album would be a success and he would live on in the hearts of those listening. Right. So if you want to argue the Lazarus aspect, he has risen because who fucking forgot Bowie? Nobody. And in a way, Black Star, the album, is kind of him being reborn because it was it was released two days before his death. His death. Oh, I mean... Well, no, because here's the thing. I I even can say I was released on a Friday and I saw it came out. And at my job, I usually listen to Spotify all day. But I didn't see it came out till the end of the day. And I was like, you know what? I don't have enough time to listen to this in fall. I'll listen to it on Monday when I'm back at work. Yeah. So he passes away in the meantime. And then everybody listens to it. And it's kind of like he's rising again through his music. I mean, it came out on his birthday. And then he came out on his birthday on a Friday. And he oh, died shit. on a Sunday. Oh, shit. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. <laughs> that doesn't I don't know what that means, sense. but yeah, sure. <laughs> but the point is, no, this it totally works. But that's like... Actually, that's like, I didn't think about that aspect before. Now I'm a little That's like good, good Friday and then Yeah, good Easter. Friday and Easter Sunday. But it's backwards because... Bowie died on Easter Sunday. Of course it would be backwards because it's David Bowie. Yeah, you know what? This works, guys. It makes sense that it it. would be backwards. You know what else you need to go with? You need to go with the next track, which is Sue, parentheses, or in a season of crime. of this came from Bowie after he attended a concert performed by jazz musician Maria Schneider. He wanted to experiment into jazz music. He was all about it. So the day following the concert, he contacted her to see if she would be interested in collaborating with him. And of course she said yes, because why the fuck wouldn't you say yes to David Bowie? You would be stupid if you said no. Yeah. 
No, it, it, in the interview, um, if you watch the HBO special about David Bowie's last five years, she's like, I would be a fucking idiot not to say yes to this. <laughs> I mean, that's not verbatim, but that's basically what she was saying. She's paraphrasing. Like, yeah. <laughs> paraphrasing, but she did know right. what she was doing. Um, as mentioned earlier, this song is loosely based on the play Tis Pity, She's a Whore. The main character's name, Annabelle, was switched out for Sue. It evolved into something a little more complicated as he was writing it. It's kind of sounds like the story of a, su- a successful marriage that deteriorated into an abusive relationship. There's the lyric, Sue, the clinic called, the x-ray's fine. You could argue that maybe he was beating her and we brought her to the you know okay. hospital. And it's like, oh, no, you're fine. I'm going to down some nurse stairs now. You know, like, yeah. It, also, he there's mentions of maybe she was cheating on him, and he finds out, so he kills her because f- later on in the lyrics, you know, it goes to him burying her in the ground with the weeds, and that kind of relates to the play where the husband kind of lost his shit, yeah. and killed people, yeah. So I think it is loosely based on it. It's not necessarily a verbatim, but I think there's definitely inspirations of the play you can tell are from it right and it was funny because maria schneider at some points like i feel slightly uncomfortable with this material <laughs> but it's david but bowie it's david bowie i know he's not saying it to support it so i'm just gonna keep doing it in the end sue kind of becomes two songs in one there's this jazz you can definitely hear a very heavy jazz influence but at the same time a heavy rock influence yeah I was so going... it definitely sounds like two songs in one i was gonna say there's definitely you can definitely hear the like frantic jazz kind of drumming mm-hmm. and with... there's definitely the saxophone in it as well and the saxophone and you can also hear the like quintessential david bowie rock right. sound mixed into it Right. So fittingly, Bowie kind of gives it two names with the one, of course, being Sue. Excuse me. The one, of course, being Sue. And then next to it, you see in parentheses, or in a season of crime. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the songs that came out. This was the the A side of Tis a Pity, She's a Whore. So he did this years ago. He did this back in 2014, and it just ended up on Black Star. Right. And a little bit of trivia, LCD Sound System founder James Murphy played percussion on this. And the next track. Really? Yeah. I love LCD Sound System. I love LCD Sound System. And so he, I think it was after he left LCD and he ran into Bowie. And Bowie's like, yeah, you want to help? And he's like, yup. Because again, (laughs) who fucking says no to Bowie? Right. Especially if you're in LCD Sound System, you're going to fucking say yeah to Bowie. Yeah, you are. Because it's going to be amazing. Yep. And it was. (laughs) But he also, he helped in this track and he also helped in the next track, Girl Loves Me. song that has the weird gibberish language from a clockwork orange yes yay, yay! <laughs> circle gets the square i know something <laughs> <laughs> so first upon first hearing the song maybe other people are like me and they think what the fuck is he oh yeah absolutely i would too if what the I- fuck are you saying? <laughs> Did he say 
Popo? Does he mean the police? <laughs> what? Is, what the fuck? Turns out, because Bowie isn't just a one-trick pony or an easy little thing to decipher, the lyrics are actually a mix of Polari, which is a form of slang used in British gay subculture, and Nasdat, which is the fictional language used in Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. Right. Mm-hmm. So, these are languages of outsiders that seem to coincide with the subject material. Because, of course, David Bowie, being an outsider himself, in a way, mm-hmm. this is just right up his fucking it's like alley. a constant outsider. Yeah. Um, I looked up basic translations of the song. I mean, nothing's perfect, but the basic gist that I had gotten of it is it seems to be about pretty girls, drag queens, and the police. You know, party now because there won't be any drugs tomorrow. Screw in the streets, sleep it off in jail. It was really kind of this anthem for misfits and those who can't find anywhere to belong. It's very a clockwork orange. Which I've period. never seen or read. I saw it a long time ago. Sword. I think when I was in college. Um, it, it's a weird movie, yeah. but at the same time, it's something that everybody kind of needs to see once in their life. I, know. I feel like it's probably more worth it to read the book. Probably. Because, but, you know. Read a book, goddammit. <laughs> read a fucking book. Um, Get off the I'm, internet, read a book. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's, it's a legit language yeah. that you can interpret and well, come on Klingon's a language but that's Klingon <laughs> <laughs> but that's Klingon I mean you know it's Star Trek that's you, there's enough of a fandom behind a clockwork orange but not as big as one that's behind Star Trek that's fair alright potato but <laughs> it's you know it's possible I suppose yeah I mean for Literary nerds, I guess. You yeah, know, it's all creating it. this uh, fictional weird language is the equivalent of jerking themselves off. So yeah, whatever. So there you go. And speaking of literary references, there's another to the chestnut tree, which is probably from Orwell's 1984, which Bowie had always been absolutely obsessed with. Is this in this song? Yes, he oh. talks about the chestnut tree. Okay, so this might just be like Bowie's big literary nerd boner jam. <clears throat> This serious, serious boner jam. Serious boner jam. He at one time attempted to write a musical about 1984. <laughs> Mrs. Orwell found out about it and put a fucking stop. She's what? like, nope, don't do it. Fuck you. Don't fucking make a musical. And so he oh, never got to make the musical for I'm 1984. Sorry, but if... Uh, if David Bowie's gonna make a musical about something I made, I'd be like, yeah, do it. I don't give a fuck. If anybody... But David Bowie wanted to make a musical out of that. I would be like, no, fuck off. Yeah. If you said Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted to do it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, no. fuck that. Go fuck yourself. Go That's fuck not yourself. happening. No. But if David Bowie wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I would you let him do yes. it. You say yes. David Bowie asks to do a musical of your book. <laughs> you say yes. Yes. Oh, my God. But overall, the music for the track is really basic. It's minimal harmonic structure, just shifting between two chords. It's really driven by the bass and the drums. Yeah, and I think the focus of that song is really uh, the lyrics. Yeah. And just him speaking in a completely weird language. I mean, how do you fucking write a song in another language that's not really even another language? It's just kind of uh, made up fictional language. It's what? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's just slang in a fictional language. 
Yo, why haven't there been any famous Klingon songs? That's what I want to fucking know. Write it. But you know what? <laughs> I'm sure we could find plenty of uh, songs written in Sindarin or Kenya from uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's a good point. We could probably find quite a few metal songs. Hey, you know what? Shout out. If y'all got some good songs written in nerdy fictional languages for us, we're all about it. Because we will do a podcast episode about it. Oh, 100%. I'm all about that. Oh my god, I'm so about that life. I'm also about the life of the next track, Dollar Days. I'm trying to I'm dying to survival sex on a stretching tails the necks I'm falling down it's nothing to me it's nothing to see if I'll never see the English evergreens I'm running to it's nothing to me it's nothing to see Sexy sax solo. Hell yeah. I'll let it. I'll, I'll why let it stand. Was, why was that not on our list last? Because we fucked up. Because <laughs> we fucked up. Because there are so many songs with sexy sax solos. And actually, this album itself just is like amazing sax solo after amazing sax solo. Yeah. So, can only do so much. But this song itself was done without having a demo created prior. Bowie just picked up a guitar and started plucking it out, start to finish, just finished, just done right in the studio. Oh. Yeah. And just. We're like, hey, let's just do the song. And they did. They fucking just made it happen. The lyrics seemed to be a commentary on Bowie's self-imposed exodus from England. One of the lyrics is, quote, if I never see the English evergreens I'm running to, it's nothing to me. <laughs> he has no regrets of his big move from the country he was born into. Yeah. He does not give a fuck. He's and, like... And we were just talking about yeah. this. Like, we've seen interviews with him, even back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Where he's just like, I don't give a shit about England. Fuck England. I'm over it. <laughs> and journalists would be like, how do you feel about nobody in England accepting you anymore? And he's just like, uh, He rolls uh, his eyes. The I fucks aren't given. Like, I don't care. He doesn't. He really doesn't. Honestly, you know, New York became his home completely, and New York accepted him completely. Bowie was a very quintessential New Yorker. Yeah, I I remember when I was growing up uh, in the uh, Lower Hudson Valley. The Lower w- Hudson Valley. The Lower region. Hudson Valley. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that great, believe me. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, everybody always used to be like, you know, David Bowie. Right. He lives not far from here. But He's it's like still somewhere. like, it's, it's in Manhattan. <clears throat> you know, when you get out into Manhattan, it's a really big fucking place, guys. <laughs> but he lived, he had a house or at least an estate or something near Woodstock. Oh. And where I grew up was only like 30, maybe 40 minutes from Woodstock. Right. So everyone was like, you know, David Bowie lives around here. And I'm like, yeah, so does every other fucking famous person in this world. <laughs> and they don't want us looking at no, them. No. That's why they live there, because nobody gave a fucking shit that they were famous. Exactly. But yeah, he had a really beautiful estate near Woodstock somewhere. Yeah. He, so. he, lo- he, surprisingly enough, would rather live in America. So... You know, there you go. Which is hilarious because I would probably rather live in the countryside in England. So, right? although I don't know, I've heard, I've heard alternative. Anyway, so <laughs> there are metaphors for the music industry throughout this song as well. 
quote, we bitches tear our magazines, those oligarchs with foaming mouths phone now and then. He's comparing this oligarchy to the industry and the press that hounded him for years. He was over it. And the lines, I'm dying to push their backs against the grain and fool them all again and again could easily be interpreted as Bowie wanting to fool the masses with reinvention of himself just one more time as he had been so well known to do. And also kind of fool them with um, kind of releasing this masterpiece of an album and then literally disappearing. Yeah. When this first came out, a lot of people said, wow, this is really dark, blah, blah, blah. And then he dies two days later and like, oh, "Oh, shit, now I get it. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's why it's dark. That's it. The phrases I'm trying to and I'm dying to are repeated as the song ends. The former phrase can be seen as Bowie saying that he's trying as hard as he can to work as much as possible, even in his final days. And the latter phrase, some have, assu- some have assumed that instead of saying, I'm dying to do something, he's actually saying, I'm dying to, T-O-O, as if to tell the world, I'm working really hard right now because I'm gonna die. I don't know if he would be that literal. I don't know. Or maybe he was, but that's the thing. It's like maybe he is being that literal because, because you don't, don't expect it's it to be that literal. <laughs> Fuck! There's so many like there's so many choices and possibilities. Yeah. And even if he was alive, he wouldn't fucking tell us. You know what? He would have made a great serial killer because <laughs> you never know what he would do next. You don't. You never know. Oh, damn, if, Bowie, if, what do you do next? If only, Die. if only he had a more fucked up childhood, he would have been a serial killer well, instead of a musician. I would have followed him. He's beautiful. I would have followed him. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is actually a really short album, and this is the final song, I Can't Give Everything Away. Seeing more and feeling less Saying no but meaning yes This is all I ever meant That's the message that I sent I can't give everything I can't give everything This is Bowie's farewell. This is his goodbye song. Mm -hmm. Between the lyrics and the musical composition, the entire thing really gives off this feel that this is the finale he is going out on. And there is this just bittersweet optimism to the sound of it all. You can just, you can feel it when you listen to the song. I do anyway. Uh, Bowie was a dedicated performer and he wanted his shows and albums to be realized concepts for his fans to enjoy. But... He also liked having his private life. He was incredibly secretive about his career until the very end. And while everybody knew who David Bowie was, he still remains an enigma. You don't know everything about Bowie. So the lyrics, I can't give everything away, really fitting to that of who he is. Which is interesting because at least in the last 10 or 15 years, 
everybody wants to know everything about their favorite celebrities. And he has so many really dedicated fans. You would think that people would know more. Right. But somehow he managed to keep this level of anonymity Mm -hmm. that a lot of other celebrities couldn't manage. I think he was smart. I think he knew who to tell things to. And I mean, I, he only told people he needed to tell. He wasn't a gossip. Yeah. He didn't run around looking for attention. I mean, look at fucking artists nowadays. Taylor Swift and Drake always crying and whining about their fucking lives. Yeah. And I, and he, was, he never did that. And I think he was smart enough to pay attention to how culture was changing. Yes. Because if he didn't pay attention, then everybody would know everything. Right. And he was very smart to create these personas that... Just gave him another layer. And let people... People would analyze Major Tom, then be like, well, wait. And then Ziggy Stardust, but then wait. Oh, then there's the Thin White Duke. Right. Oh, wait, then there's Aladdin Saint, you know? It's and just- by creating personas, you let people get to know the persona, but you're... And you're satisfying them. Yes. Making them think that they're getting to know you, but yeah. really, your true self is still under there and yeah. undetected. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Bowie was probably just a regular dude who was like, I'm just really creative, guys. And I just want to hang out with my family and I just want to hang out with my music. hot wife and my cool kids. <laughs> That's all I want to do. Throughout all the tracks of this album, this is definitely the most reminiscent of classic Bowie. There's electric guitar in it, the taking over, really has bits of Ziggy uh, or Aladdin Sane album sound. And it has two specific leitmotifs. Now, for those of you who don't know, a leitmotif is a recurrent theme throughout a musical composition. Mm-hmm. Music nerd. <laughs> the first one is the harmonica solo at the beginning, and it's taken from the song A New Beginning in a New Town, off of his 1977 album, Low. And it's it's very reminiscent of that. Not a complete copy, but pretty close. But then the second is the saxophone solo. Parts of it are very similar to the solo played in Tis a Pity She Was a Whore. And what I think is interesting about this is it really gives you a feel for the past Bowie as well as the present Bowie. And it's just all kind of preparing you for this Bowie-less future. Yeah... You're like, this is who I was. This is who I am. By the way, bye. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. There's a lot of layers to the song itself. It, it's really kind of crazy to think about how much he thought about this album. Right? Because he clearly thought so much about it. Yeah. And, you know, hearkening back to his previous albums, even back into the 70s and 60s, and... Almost getting influence from his own stuff. Exactly. It's such a meta album. He's very well aware of this who is he like, is and how people view him. This is like David Bowie Inception. Yeah. David <laughs> Bowie Inception. Yes. <laughs> well, that's why I brought up The Next Day earlier. Because The Next Day really, throughout the album, is very much references to kind of taking a piss to himself. Yeah. And to say, like, well, this was my history. And then you got Black Star, which is this... So it's over now, mm-hmm. and I'm going, and this is it. And this is what I'm leaving you. Yeah, and this is what I'm leaving you. The next day is, this is what I was, and Black Star is, this is what I'm leaving you. Very much so. Um, There was a music video created by Jonathan Barnbrook, who also did the artwork for the album itself. He's mm-hmm. done a couple of the albums and a little bit of videos for Bowie. And he did it a few months after Bowie died. And it was just a simple but really powerful animation video with the lyrics and symbols flowing throughout the video. And the entire thing is in black and white until the end where it gets inserted with bursts of color. And the final symbol is an astronaut, which is an obvious nod to what put Bowie on the map, David or Major Tom. It's very Wizard of Oz. It is. It really, yeah. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. 
when she she's leaving Kansas and yeah, and, and she goes to the fucking whatever it is the other side. Fucking Oz. Yeah, Oz. That's what it is. <laughs> Duh. Jesus. It's like the Wizard of Oz and she goes to that place. You know, Oz. You know, the place with the color. Do you mean Oz? Yeah. That yeah. One. Oz. <laughs> Not the prison, though. Sweet Jesus. That's a different place. Um, actually, another little piece of trivia. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor created a farewell mix of the song. Because Trent had a really hard time dealing with Bowie's death. I can imagine. They were very close. Uh, Trent Reznor actually attributes David Bowie to helping him kick his alcohol addiction. I do remember that. He said he was was, was a really bad alcoholic. And then when they started collaborating. And touring together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, you know, Trent Reznor had a hard time. And actually, I really like, I really like the Nine Inch Nails farewell mix of this song. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very simple and sweet, and it's just like Bowie's vocals over just yeah. this really sweet, simple track. And to be fair to Trent Reznor, he does some fantastic remixes. He really does. He Even does, of his own shit. Yeah, he does fantastic remixes. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. But I kind of I kind of feel like there's some kind of parallel to be made with this album and David Bowie's sickness in terms of instruments that he used and the whole jazz influence Mm -hmm. because when you listen to it the music itself is very jazz influence using jazz instruments jazz musicians yeah but it's also format in that format but it's also very frantic yeah um whereas his vocals are very drawn out kind of operatic in a way but collected and collected and calm and soothing Mm -hmm. in that uh, David Bowie kind of way. Yeah. So to me, it seems like he was using the music as a representation of his illness. Right. But his vocals and even the lyrics as a representation of how he was handling it and how he was presenting it to his fans. Yeah. So you have this crazy frantic disease and David kind of just dealing with it, doing what uh. he does and just getting through it and putting it both together Right. To have this one little gift, huh. gift That's a really of a thing. Look at it. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's a but really I, good point. I very much see the the music itself, the instrumentalization, whatever the fuck that word <laughs> no, is. That was, that was, that's uh, the word now. Yeah, that's the word. Um, that <laughs> is the disease. Yeah. And his vocals are him. Oh, I like that. Ooh, I'm going with it. Yeah. I like it. Let's That's put how that on, I see let's it. Let's put that on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be a disservice to not discuss the album artwork. Yeah. Because the album artwork is a fucking message in and of it's itself. It's great and vastly different than previous albums So of fucking different. Even in the packaging, Bowie put so much fucking thought into this. <laughs> The star image on the front is credited to NASA, and on the inside, the booklet includes these constellations with the lyrics of the the songs instead of the name of the stars. So it's really pretty. It's very lovely. At the bottom of the cover, you can see Bowie's name is in this stylized lettering. It's pieces of the star itself spelling out the word Bowie. Huh. If you if you look at it like one part is like a B and it's an O, it's it's really cool. Like you and you don't know that until somebody tells you, and you're like. Oh, oh, now I, I see, see it. it. Months later, fans discovered that it left out. If you left the album out in the sun, the star cutout in the cover actually reveals a beautiful star field. Really? Yeah, I I actually 
bought the vinyl for this because you got a digital download no matter what you got. So I was like, yeah. well, I'm going to download- I'm gonna get the vinyl if I'm going to get anything. Right. So I'll actually listen to a vinyl because I'm a fucking hipster asshole like that. So am I. But I'd like to think I was a hipster <laughs> asshole before hipster assholes. Right. I wasn't. <laughs> According to Barnbrook, um, the guy who directed the video, there are even more hidden surprises in this album. Hmm. Um, actually, it's really cool because it's all in black. It's, mm-hmm. The fucking words are in black. So if you want to read like the lyrics and the credits and everything, you have to kind of look at it in a light because it reflects <laughs> properly off the light. Metallica's black album has nothing. <laughs> Yo, Metallica, you got nothing on this. You neither, Jay-Z. Y'all don't even try. Ain't got nothing. <laughs> and again, you know, Bowie always puts himself on the cover. He always puts himself throughout this. And there are pictures of him in the co- in the booklet. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing of him on the cover, nothing of him on, on the back. It's all in black. And that could maybe be because it's maybe this album isn't all about him. Right. Or in that it's about him just becoming one with whatever and going on and passing on into a new world and into a new life, whatever you believe. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, this is me moving on. And also it's kind of an ending in yeah. a way. So black everything kind of makes sense. It does. If it's an ending. It really does. It was, you know, he put an amazing amount of thought into this. Overall, you know, in a time where music's just so incredibly manufactured to sell, Think about this top 40 garbage that we have. Mm-hmm. This iHeartRadio bullshit. And this is bullshit. so the opposite of it. Bowie comes out with his final album. He knows it's his fucking final album. And so he's going balls out. And he is just like not intending to be catchy. He doesn't want to become a number one hit. He's just doing what he loves. He just wants to make an album he's proud of because... This is it. This is him saying goodbye, and he's reinventing himself. He's creating this thoughtful music that doesn't come without a lot of thought and reflection. You can't listen to this album once and get it. I have listened through the entire album front to back, like, six times, and I'm still finding shit. (laughs) And I'll I'll pick out songs here and there just to listen to, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, so that's how Bowie's always been. He's just this unapologetic, he's not willing to bend to anyone, and this was his goodbye, and he's said it his own fucking way. Yeah. And as for the album, Tony Viscotti, the producer, said this, quote, His death was no different from his life, a work of art. He made Blackstar for us his parting gift. I knew for a year this was the way it would be. I wasn't, however, prepared for it. He was an extraordinary man, full of love and life. He will always be with us. And isn't that kind of a true testament to a real artist? Seriously. Is your final piece is that thought out, that impactful, and that artistic? Yeah. And so layered. Who does that? Yeah. Who does that? No one except Bowie. You know, and in some ways it makes me disappointed to think, who's going to do that next? Right. Is anyone? There's... Very few people that I can think. Honestly, Trent Reznor is one of the people that I can think of who, if he was in this situation, he would probably oh, yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. Um. But other than that, there's not a whole lot. There's not. There really isn't. You know, it, it, Bowie was a one of a kind, and I think that's why it was so much to lose him. You know, right. it, it was again. It was weird because it affected me, and I never was sad about a celebrity dying before. Mm-hmm. Um. Honestly, doing this episode was kind of hard for me. Um, I kind of got a little depressed. 
because, you know, not only are you reading, I'm listening to this, I'm reading everything, and I'm thinking about Bowie dying and Bowie knowing he's going <laughs> to die and doing all this thing. Um, a slight little Maggie backstory. So my mom died of breast cancer five years ago. And cancer is the fucking worst. Yeah. Uh, Especially the, when there's no kind of hope of it getting better. Yeah, my mom was pretty much... The, it, the hardest part is just watching someone deteriorate mm -hmm. and become a shell of a person. Yeah. And that was very difficult, more than anything. And when you when you know they have have that spirit in them... Yeah. But there's it's just too overwhelming yeah. for them to really fight it and so like researching this it, it makes you think you know the one thing that brings all humans together we're not getting out of this alive yeah we're all fucking gonna go we all have the same fate at the end of the day and you know at the end of it all you gotta stop and think what is my legacy and what am I leaving behind? And you see what Bowie did and you see like how fucking much he thought about it and how insightful he is with it. And, you know, like watching my mom die of cancer. And I think anybody else who's watched someone close to them die from a absolutely deteriorating, terrible disease can agree. You, you, you see this thing that you don't normally see this yeah. mortality and like this look at life just fading and I think researching this kind of reminded me of it. Yeah. And it was hard. But fucking Bowie put it so poignantly. And I, I don't I don't think anybody else will ever fucking do that again. I don't think anybody would put this level of thought into what exactly they're going to leave behind when right. they when they go wherever the fuck you go when you die. Yeah, whatever fucking happens. Um he clearly thought about it a lot and also got a lot of inspiration yeah. from his own impending death. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about because I know so many people that would just crumble under that pressure and under that weight. Right. He didn't. No. He turned it into an amazing oh album with so much thought, so much influence, and so much artistic insanity. Right. Right into it that it it became something that is almost larger than him right which is difficult and and that's the thing too but, is he'll be remembered for this yeah you can't always guarantee that your last thing is gonna be what makes you remembered yeah but I, he did i think he's always going to be most remembered for Things like Ziggy Sardust mm -hmm. and Let's Dance, which is played at every 80s night that we go to, at least. Um, but I think for people who actually like sit down and actually get into Bowie, right. this is going to be the thing they remember. And this is going to be the thing that they are most blown away by and most influenced by. Yeah, Especially, like I, I think I will be. I think this is what will be the first thing I think about when I think of Bowie yeah. now. Especially if you think about... This this was his last album before he died. This was an album all about his impending death. Yeah. That in itself is way too heavy. Yeah. It's for, a lot. And it kind of makes me feel like he's not just a mere mortal like us. Right? <laughs> he like, is something far beyond anything that anybody else on this planet and is. And I, I am not a spiritual or religious person, but I think Bowie did become a black star. Oh, yeah. He's out there somewhere in the fucking space because that's who he was. He was a spaceman. 
the next there. galaxy that Nath- NASA discovers, if NASA will, is ever funded again, <laughs> oh. uh, we should name it after David Bowie. Name it Bowie. Definitely. The Bowieverse. The Bowie. I'm down with that. I'm <laughs> totally down with that. Um, so if you're sad like I am right now, look up your Doge memes. Yeah. Because I'm going to fucking look at a lot of memes right now and laugh oh, we're, and try not to cry. We should probably go watch wrestling and be happy again. Yeah, I'm going to go watch Asuka and imagine that everything's great. Yeah. <sighs> also, we forgot to, to mention at the beginning of the episode what we have been drinking. Uh, the first one is called Beer de Mars. I forgot who released it. Uinta. Oh, you which Uinta. Uinta, which we just figured out how to pronounce. It's not Unita. It's <laughs> or Unita. It's Uinta. So Uinta Brewing Beer de Mars because which was delicious. Oh, it's real good. By the way, yeah, fucking because you know Ziggy Stardust Spiders from Mars. I imagine they're drinking Beer de Mars. Duh. Hello. Duh. Duh. And then the other thing we've been drinking is Modern American, American Pale Ale by Common Roots Brewing. Local brewery, shout out. In uh, lovely Glens Falls, Glens New York. Glens Falls, New York. <laughs> still only about, what, 35 minutes from here? About that. Yeah. Something like that. We're still, we're getting there. We're getting yeah. closer. But yeah, so go drink some beers. And, you know, your homework, guys, fucking listen to Black Star, just front and back once. And then go have your memes ready. Yeah. Because you're going to need them. Yeah. Because it's rough. <laughs> anyway, so thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Please go find us on the social medias. We got the Facebooks and we got the Instagrams at Rock Candy Podcast. And then we got Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. We have a website, www.rockcandypodcast. But fuck. <laughs> Not so butt fuck. But not fuck. butt fuck. No. Or maybe. No. No. Don't look that up. You'll be really upset. <laughs> Rockcandypodcast.com. I've been drinking. And I'm I've sad. been drinking. And you can also email us at contact us at rockcandypodcast.com and send us whatever you fucking want. But follow us on all the things. Well, follow us on all the things. And tell all your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your kids. Tell your wife. Yep. Tell, tell them all. Them. Anyway, so that'll leave us for this week. Get ready for next week. I'm sure it'll be another hopefully happier tumble well, into the world of music. Next week is Wendy O. Williams. Oh well, eh, we might ju- cover we might cover Weird Al soon because I fucking need it. Because <laughs> oh, he's just a great guy. God damn it! Oh, all right, look, just party on, Ashley. Party on, mate. <laughs> party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.